What's up, John of All Trades listener? Episode 267 is sponsored by Old 121 Brew House. That's right. You've heard me talk about them before. They're good friends of mine. They got an event coming up this Friday, October 9th at 4 p.m. It's kind of a melange of cool stuff and stuff that I enjoy with great folks. First of all, we've got Colorado Craft Butchers there. They specialize in Wagyu beef and mangalitsa pork. On Friday, only at Old 121 Brew House, they've got A5 beef from Japan, the highest quality rating of any beef sold in the world. Extremely marbled, very tender. They're going to have a bunch of A5 steaks priced as low as 30 bucks, as well as A5 meatballs made with organic spices and mesquite smoked A5 kielbasa. Not only that, but Scooter James is going to be on hand with a bunch of Pinhead Circus t-shirts. If you grew up as a punk in Denver, as I am, Pinhead Circus was one of the bands you had to see. They were amazing. They have one of my all-time favorite songs in Carefree Metal Days. He's releasing a bunch of their old t-shirts. Additionally, Brett, one of the owners there, is cultivating a punk rock playlist. So come hang out. Get yourself some good beef from Colorado Craft Butchers. Get a t-shirt from Scooter James at Pinhead Circus. Listen to some good punk rock and grab a beer or two. That sounds like the best way to spend a Friday afternoon. So October 9th. 4 p.m. Check it out on Facebook. There's a link in the companion blog piece on johnofalltrades.us and also in the show notes. Now then, let's start the show. Start the show! You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 267. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, man, what a get, what a dude. It's Kyle Bell, former running back at CSU, Colorado State University Rams. That's my team. That's my school. I watched this dude run over defenses, and I get to talk to him. What a thrill. I am so happy to bring this episode to you. Now, how did I come to get introduced to Kyle? Kyle is in business for himself, working for a very reputable company, but due to how heavily regulated this industry is, that's about all I can say. All I can do is point you to his LinkedIn page. You will learn all about what Kyle's up to today. And you know what? If you're in the market for what he's doing, hit him up. He's a great dude, very personable, building his network. Now, I told him, I'm like, man, I watched you play football, and I remember that fondly. Those were some of my favorite years of my life. Do you want to come on my show, talk about your journey through football, and then post-life athletics? Because that, to me, is really interesting. When you do something at a high level, and you dedicate your life to it in a lot of ways, and suddenly it ends. So Kyle had torn his ACL twice. He was attempting to make a second comeback. And he tore it a third time. He knew his football career was over. What do you do when that happens? How do you pick yourself up? How do you evolve? How do you grow? What does your dream become? That's always an interesting question to me when it comes to high-achieving athletes. You're, what, 25 years old, and all of a sudden, your football dream is over? What do you do? How do you move on? How do you evolve? How do you grow? Those are just some of the things that we talk about on this week's show. I would be terribly remiss... If we didn't spend some time talking about the journey to get there, though, coming up as a star through high school, what the recruitment process is like, why he chose CSU, what he can tell me about Coach Sonny Lubick. I mean, if you thought we were going to go through this episode without talking about Sonny Lubick, you're insane. Because anyone who went to CSU while Sonny Lubick was coaching has unbelievable fondness for that man, and it's just reaffirmed in this week's chat. The biggest thing I took away from this week's episode, and I don't want to step on it too much because I'd like you to discover it as you listen to it. But what I took away is Kyle is just a really, really good dude. And in everything that he has pursued, he has gone after it 100%. And I'd expect nothing less from a farm kid from Weld County. That's right. He's from Keensburg. And I've spent a lot of time in Weld County. I have great fondness for the people who live there, for people who work in agriculture for people who work in natural resources. It's a very hard-working type of folks there. Really good salt-of-the-earth people. So the fact that Kyle has found success in every step of his journey, sure, there have been setbacks. Sure, there have been challenges. But he keeps pushing forward. I'd expect nothing less from a kid from Weld County. Grown man now, wife, two kids of his own, and just a super dude. So I encourage you to check out his LinkedIn. That's in the companion blog piece. That's in the show notes. 
So those are the plugs I'm going to do. Go to the show notes, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, any of a billion other podcatchers, wherever you get your pods, or the John of All Trades homepage, J-O-N of All Trades dot U-S. But now, let's get on with episode 267. It's Kyle Bell, former running back at Colorado State University, former general manager at Ed Bozarth Chevrolet, and all-around great dude. Episode 267 of the John of All Trades podcast starts right now. Oh, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think especially, you know, for for that group of guys that's, you know, the guys that aren't necessarily your your veterans, um, your your all pros, your pro bowlers, they, they've gotten to the point where they know what they need to do. They know how to take care of their bodies on a day in and day out basis. They've developed their routines. They've got everything, you know, outside of the, the spectrum of the team capacity. You know, they've got their therapists or the people that probably – help out with their nutrition. They've got a lot of that dialed in where you really need that exposure to, to the grind, to being able to put these guys in a position where they have to learn and they have to learn it quickly is for the younger guys. Um, for those guys that maybe haven't been through it or are still trying to figure out exactly what they need to do to uh, be able to maintain at that level. Um, so I think that's a very important piece of it. And I know, like you had said, you know, two days are kind of a thing of the past, right? I mean, they have them to right. some extent, but there's a lot of limitations on that. And so you almost got to think, are they making these players too soft? I don't, I don't know. You know, it's, um, you know, I certainly, my time in the NFL was very short. So I really didn't get that exposure to have to go through that, but certainly thinking, you know, in, you know, when I was at CSU in college, you know, it took a good year to really just kind of figure out what was going to work for me and how I needed to go about doing it. And so, you know, maybe not giving those guys as much of that uh, experience, you kind of wonder, you know, how, how that's going to affect them. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. So this is obviously Kyle Bell, former running back at the CSU Rams, as well as Jacksonville Jaguars. And now you've moved on. You're in a new professional space. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I had the pleasure of watching you because we crossed while we were there. And, man, dude, you were a beast at CSU, and you were just an absolute pleasure to watch, just watching you run through defenses. So, first of all, well, thanks, man. yeah, you bet. Uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, doing <laughs> what you did. It's interesting to me, you know, talking about how the younger guys in the NFL need to get their rhythm and, you know, understand kind of how to do that. In your estimation, and I think I know the answer to this, what's the bigger leap going from high school to college or college to the NFL? College to the NFL. And, yeah, and, and how different are those two leaps from each other? Well, it, it was, God, it was pretty, it, it was pretty immense. I mean, at least my, my time, like I said, my time with Jacksonville was very short. I, uh, you know, I, I signed with them as an undrafted free agent and, uh, I, I got the opportunity, obviously, to take part in mini camps right away. Uh, I was there during the summer for OTAs. Unfortunately, the the last OTA of the summer is when I tore my ACL oh. uh, for the second time. Right away, even even though it was non-contact helmets only, the speed of the game was. I mean, I was just I was kind of blown away those first couple of days, you know, of just trying to wrap my head around how fast everybody on the field was, especially the bigger guys, the defensive linemen, you know, the linebackers, how quickly everything moves. It was a pretty big leap to go from high school to, to college, especially, uh, you know, I came from a, a smaller high school. So, you know, I, I didn't get the 4A, the 5A competition. We were 2A when I was in high school. So that was uh, a, a definitely a big adjustment. But, but going into that world where you are literally on the field with the best football players in the world and just, you know, watching everything and just kind of those first few days of like, literally like, oh, my gosh, am I cut out for this? You know, can I, can I do this? But also realizing it's very early, you know, I, I need, you know, I'm going to need some time just to kind of get acclimated. Unfortunately, again, everything was kind of cut short because of the injury, but, but it was definitely a, an eye opening experience and just kind of being, being a little bit blown away. <laughs> well, it, it's funny to me. So take me through a little bit of your story where you said you grew up small town, Colorado. Mm -hmm. You, you end up playing Division One football. Uh, what was the recruitment process like? You know, you were going against kind of 2A competition. Is that working against you? Are you kind of swimming upstream? Take me through a little bit of, you know, your journey through high school and then into college. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, Yeah, I, I was born and raised uh, in Keensburg, Colorado, and I guess for... Uh, That's Weld County, right? 
It is Weld County. Yeah, yeah. For the folks who maybe aren't quite sure where that is. I, I meet a lot of Colorado natives who are still like, tell me where that's at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 40 miles northeast of Denver. Um, if you hop on I-76 and head towards Nebraska, you'll go right through Kingsburg. Um, I've so been there many spot. times. So yeah. I, having worked in oil and gas, I know, okay, yeah. I, I know all the towns in Weld County, you know, Kingsburg, yeah. Platteville, uh, new Raymer way up north. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. Kersey, like Kersey, just, just north of there. Just, yep, yeah. Absolutely. Gr- great towns, great folks in those towns. Um, like very hardworking folks. Yeah. I mean, it's a rural farming community. Like you said, it's, it's very, uh, very blue collar. Um, you know, the town itself has, you know, six, 700 people in it. I grew up, um, you know, outside of the town. So just, uh, on County road 18, <laughs> um, right off the Kersey cutoff there. Um, but yeah, that's my, you know, my, my father, um, grew up in that area. My, uh, my grandfather grew up in that area. Um, so I'm literally third generation in that area, not just Colorado, but wow. for that, uh, the Kingsburg, Weld County area. Um, my, uh, my great grandfather on my father's side, uh, came to Colorado from Missouri. So, um, so yeah, from, from day one is, is, you know, some of my first memories were, you know, out on the farm with my dad working, uh, working out on the farm. So I learned from a, very early age what it meant uh you know to go to work every day well what and so what what product were you guys like what what was your kind of milieu well we were all uh, we were all crops so we didn't have any livestock but we were all crops you know uh corn uh wheat sunflowers i remember when i was really young actually uh uh did some barley for coors uh for a short period of time you know my father farmed us pinto beans uh beets sugar beets so a little bit of everything, you know, kind of along the way. And so kind of, yeah, that's how I grew up, man. I mean, it was, it was school. It was, it was working on the farm, helping my dad. And then as I got older, sports became a, a very big part of my life. I was into everything, baseball, basketball, football, um, junior high ran track. And uh, so I was all about just, I mean, I was always active, you know, whether, like I said, whether I was at school, whether I was, you know, in the summers working with my dad, playing sports, I was just going all the time. And that's, that's what I knew. I didn't know any different um, about how you should live life. I was just always go, go, go work hard, do what you needed to do. And, and uh, you know, just have a lot of fun. <laughs> Dude, farm kids are like the best like that. And like working on a farm, you will get strength that like is impossible to duplicate anywhere else, including a weight room. <clears throat> and so I think about one of my favorite athletes in my life, Brock Lesnar, who is just a freak of nature in so many ways. But I think he got that working on a farm in like Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, wherever it is he grew up. I can't remember exactly. But you look at him and it's like, man, that's a guy who has thrown thousands of bales of hay. <laughs> and you, you just you, – there's, there's no accounting for that. So when you say that, it's not surprising when I used to watch you run over defenses. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, I threw many a hay bale you know, in, in, in my time. Uh, on the farm. I mean, you know, when you're a kid too, it's, it's, you always want to do as much as you can when you're out with your father, when you're working, you know, whether it was, you know, moving hay bales, whether it was carrying irrigation tubes, you know, you always wanted to load yourself up as much as you could and try to carry less trips. Yeah, exactly. And so you always kind of wanted to, to, to push yourself, even though you really didn't know that that's kind of what you were doing, you know, you always kind of did that. And so, so naturally just kind of that strength that you develop from a young age. I mean, I, I really didn't even lift weights in high school. Uh, I mean, a little bit as I got, you know, to a junior and senior year and, and kind of realized that, you know, cause I definitely wanted to uh, play athletics or I want to go to college to play sports, but, but yeah, you just kind of, you, you develop that strength. I was, you know, I was kind of fortunate from the genetic side that, you know, I was always one of the taller ones in my, in my class. Um, and so I, you know, I always had kind of a good size, but when you throw in the fact that, yeah, I was always just doing things on the farm and, and always playing sports. And so always kind of keeping in good shape, developing that strength. Um, it really kind of helped me as I, as I got to that level, you know, playing in high school and, and, uh, you know, being able to, to perform like I did. And, uh, you know, baseball was actually my passion. Really? Baseball was actually what I wanted to do in college. I, uh, you know, I think it was probably about the time I was maybe a freshman, sophomore. I was really in the mindset that I wanted to go to college for baseball. And so that was kind of my, you know, I didn't specialize, obviously, again, small town, you don't really have too many opportunities to do that. Um, but I really didn't want to specialize. I still wanted to play the other sports. Um, and then it was about, about the time, I think about the end of my junior year, when I was offered uh, by Wyoming, I was offered a scholarship right after my junior year. 
and then my senior year, um, you know, I was offered from, from Colorado State. And then at that point, you know, it's kind of, you know, baseball is different. You know, baseball is different as far as playing, you know, at the collegiate level. There's so many more, I think, a pool of players to play at that level. It's a lot harder to get into the Division One world in baseball. So I, at that point, it was kind of weighing, okay, do I want to, do I want to maybe go to a smaller school for baseball uh, just to try to maybe work my way up? Or do I want to go play Division One football? Um, you know, my, in my sophomore year, we were on ESPN nine times. Um, so to kind of play at a little bit of a higher level and certainly have my, uh, you know, my education fully paid for. So that was kind of the, the deciding factor at that point, which I decided to, uh, uh, to go to football. Okay, so two things there. One, uh, your sophomore year, what year was that? In high school? Uh, no, you said you were on ESPN nine times. Sophomore. Oh, that would have been uh, 2005. Yeah, I'm in 2005. Okay, so 2005, there was one game that was on at 10 a.m. in the morning. And so I remember this, or maybe this was 2004. That would have been, well, that would have been 2007. We played, we played CU, uh, 2007 at 10 a.m. Okay. At Mile High. <laughs> there, there was, there was one game, and I remember this distinctly because we all woke up to go tailgate at 7 a.m. and it was freezing <laughs> that day. And it was because it was an ESPN game. And so it was like the early game, it was like 10 a.m. or whatever, and gates opened three hours before, and we go, God, are we really going to do this at seven? <laughs> Um, but we, we stayed up the night before we made just a ton of breakfast burritos and we all hauled our asses out there and did it. And it was great. Yeah. That, that early of a start is tough, you know, especially being a player starting that early. And then the eight o'clock kickoffs as a player were tough also because oh. you had all day. We had all day to just You're kinda, just doing right. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of, you know, meetings and walkthroughs and things like that. A little bit of downtime to maybe watch a movie or watch some other games that were on TV, but you know, for me, that one, two o'clock kickoff time was, was always the best. You had enough time yeah. to, to get yourself ready, but you didn't have to wait all day. So that, that was always kind of my preference, uh, you know, play one, two o'clock. One hundred percent. And, you know, as, as a student, getting there at 10 a.m., uh, you know, that was a little bit easier. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Another thing I wanted to say was you played so many sports. You mentioned baseball, basketball, football, and track. And... When I was growing up, so, I mean, we're not that different in age. I'm just a little bit older than you. And that seemed like more of a thing. These days, it seems like kids specialize so early anymore. And mm -hmm. I feel like you lose something with that. You you have kids yourself, right? I do, yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, my son, Braxton, just turned six. He's in kindergarten, um, you know, really getting into sports. My daughter, Berkeley, she's going to be three uh, on New Year's Day. Wow. Okay, so... Yeah, my daughter Grace is in kindergarten, and she uh, she'll be six in October. So I mean, we're we're like right there. And my other one is uh, she just turned four. Okay. And, and it's like I want them to try a lot of different things because when I was a kid, I played baseball, basketball, golf, swimming, gymnastics. I did drama. I did theater. Like there there was so much to do, and now it's it's almost like you have to pick so early. And I worry about them missing out on that. Do you is that something that resonates with you? Yeah, it does. And, and I'm kind of the same mindset, you know, let, let the kids figure out what they want to do, what they're, what they're passionate about. You know, they, uh, you know, someone like me who obviously with my football experience, you know, I would love to, to see my son play football because I know from my experience, you know, what it taught me, um, you know, how much it helped me develop, you know, what it taught me about life, what it taught me about myself. But, you know, if he came to me one day and said, dad, I don't want to play football, I'm, you know, I'm not going to force them to. You know, I, I want, you know, I want them to be able to learn on their own, you know, what it is that they enjoy in life, what it is that they want to pursue, um, you know, especially not to be one of those people that forces them just to, for the sake of doing it. Now, I think, you know, sports in general is good. If you said, Dad, I don't want to play sports at all, I, I'd probably say, okay, do you want to try some different sports? Yeah. Do you want to do some different things? So maybe that might be a different part of the conversation, but certainly wouldn't, uh, you know, again, I wouldn't want to force my children to do anything at that point that they wouldn't want to do. Well, um, and, and, and I, I feel, I feel bad if they get locked in too, because it's like, you can, you're going to have a job here. Like yeah. before, like you'll blink your eyes and you'll suddenly be in the working world. But you know, I think back, you mentioned baseball and one of my best friends, his little brother like was good at baseball from a young age. And so he was on traveling team after traveling team after traveling team. And so, you know, it becomes his entire life and he misses a lot of different things in high school. And to your point, he had to go to like this junior college in either Arizona or Nevada. I can't remember what it was. And then transferred to University of Kentucky. So like the road is much more winding. And then he navigated the minor league systems, ultimately made it to AAA. 
and that's kind of where it ended for him. You know, yeah. where, whereas in football, it's a little bit more of a direct path, and and you get sort of like for you, you get to immediately have Division One experience. Um, in, right. in this great program, whether you went to Wyoming or whether you went to CSU, both great programs. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think, too, it's, you know, I always kind of wonder, like, how when whenever I hear stories of, of kids that are whether, you know, again, whether they're young kids or whether they're in high school, if they are special, trying to specialize, if they're playing one sport year round, you know, how much of that is, you know, how much of that is them wanting to do that? How much of that is maybe the parents? you know, wanting them to focus so they can get that scholarship. How much is actually maybe from those college coaches that are maybe recommending that they, they, they do that from, from my experience, at least from back from when I was getting recruited. And then even as I kind of, you know, try to keep in tune with, you know, some of the recruiting world now, I think majority of, of coaches, regardless of what sport it is, would probably rather the, the athletes play multiple sports, you know, so they can develop skills, in other ways. I mean, certainly playing football, you know, again, is a little bit different because there aren't necessarily as much year round football programs, but you look at baseball, you look at basketball, you look at all those other sports. I mean, it it is year round. And, um, but I I think there is a, is a lot to being able to play other sports to develop different skills, to stay in shape in different ways. Um, You know, my senior year in high school, I wasn't necessarily overly excited about playing basketball, because uh, I really, again, I knew I was going the football route, so there's part of me that was like, well, should I just kind of focus on working out and maybe getting stronger, but also, you know, playing basketball just to stay in, in that shape in that way. And then certainly, you know, with the, the friends and, and everyone that I had grown up with playing basketball, I kind of felt like, you know, maybe it, it was good for me to, to stay stay involved with them um, as well. But but I think for the most part, you know, if I had, you know, my, my input in, with it is play as, as many different sports as you can, get the different exposure you can in those different areas to develop the different skills. Now, if, you know, if, if someone in high school and, and the, the kid wants to specialize, again, you got to kind of go back to, you know, what they want to do. You don't want to force them to do anything um, that they don't want to do. But, um, but I definitely have that mindset to try to get all the exposure, you know, that you can in different areas. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you learn who you are by trying lots of different things. And there, there's a lot of value in that. So all things being equal, you get recruited by, you said, Wyoming and CSU. Were there other mm-hmm. suitors? Well, there were, there were plenty of other schools that were, uh, you know, pretty heavily involved in the recruiting process. Um, you know, in, in fact, uh, truth be told, and, and, you know, and, I, and I've shared this a little with a lot of people and, you know, in, in hindsight and, and for as long as it's been, you know, had CU offered me a scholarship, I probably would have went there. You know, that's, I, I grew up watching the buffs. You know, I, I grew up watching Cordell Stewart, Rashawn Salam, you know, when I was a kid. And so, you know, I, I kind of had more of a, maybe of a connection uh, with the buffs growing up with, with CU. It wasn't until I think uh, probably 1999 when my dad actually took me to the, to the Rocky Mountain showdown at the old mile high, that was the tear gas game. Oh my. And, yeah, when, when CSU won that game, and that was really kind of the first, you know, my first exposure to Colorado State football. You know, I really never watched them. Um, you know, I knew the name Sonny Lubick, but I, I didn't really know anything about Colorado State as a program just because I didn't watch them, um, you know, and I wasn't exposed to them. So that was kind of my first uh, my first exposure to Colorado State football. And what a great experience that was, obviously, in that uh, uh, in that environment and how that went down. But, but no, I had... Had CU offered me a scholarship, I probably, you know, would have went to Boulder. I, you know, again, hindsight being what it is, but, you know, I kind of believe that, but they didn't. Um, I was kind of waiting for them to see if they were going to offer me a scholarship. And uh, Brian Cabral, who was uh, the assistant coach there uh, at the time, uh, you know, when Coach Barnett was there, I, I got to the point I was in a conversation with them and I said, are you guys going to offer me a scholarship? And, uh, and again, this is something that, you know, I'll never forget. It's kind of it's stuck with me all this time. You know, his, his exact words were probably not, probably be a situation where uh, we would invite you in as a preferred walk-on. But we don't think, because of uh, the level that you played at in high school, uh, we don't think you could be physical enough to play running back in the Big 12. Wow. So that was that. Was that. And uh, so at that point, I said, okay, CU's out of the question now. Um, and, and I kind of carried that, you know, through – uh, into uh, my time at CSU. Now I'll say with Wyoming, um, you know, they were obviously the first to offer me a scholarship, but that's when uh, Joe Glenn had just finished up his first year uh, when he got up there. 
And he made it hard to say no. He made it hard to uh, to turn them down simply from the standpoint of, of his style as a coach, his style as a person. Uh, he came on a recruiting visit to my house um, and really, you know, really kind of, I guess you could say kind of turned on the charm, if you will. Mm-hmm. He's a great recruiter. He played ragtime Cowboy Joe on our piano in our living room. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So, you know, it, it was – it definitely made me really consider, you know, should I go up there maybe be a part of a, a, of a program with a new coach that, you know, might be on the right track. But when all was said and done, you know, Coach Lubick, they're in Fort Collins. It, uh, it just kind of – it felt like that was the best choice for that as far as yeah. that goes. So – um, but a lot of other schools, a lot of other bigger schools, but it just wasn't really to that point of, of getting a scholarship offer. And I had lots of uh, offers and lots of interest from you know smaller schools, actually UNC and Greeley. Um, they kind of opened up the door to maybe possibly going trying to play football and baseball. So wow. that was on the table for consideration as well. Um, you know, actually, I was kind of you know really open to the idea of maybe the Air Force Academy um, going going there and maybe you know pursuing. Uh, a life, um, you know, in the armed forces after I was done, I was, you know, I was really kind of considering that too. But, um, but again, it just, you know, it really felt like Fort Collins was the best. Wow. It's amazing to me that you're like this 17 or 18 year old kid or whatever. And I mean, these are major conversations, major life decisions. And in some ways that almost feels unfair to put on a kid, but you know, you, you do your best to handle it. There are thousands of kids out there handling this all the time. Did you have a good support network to lean on to help make these decisions and think through a lot of, you know, the, the options in front of you? Oh yeah. I mean, I, you know, I remember so many conversations at the dinner table with my parents, you know, just, you know, weighing options and talking about different scenarios. And, you know, they were from, from the very beginning, you know, they, were completely leaving it up to me. I mean, they weren't trying to have any sort of uh, influence in making that decision for me. Um, so they were very supportive in that in that aspect. But they were, you know, they were engaging in the conversations. They really wanted to help me kind of talk through everything, think through everything. And you know, again, I, I couldn't imagine being one of those, you know, one of those athletes that has 40, 50 scholarship offers all across the country, right? right? I mean, I, you know, I had two Division One football offers, so. So really kind of where it was coming in was, you know, maybe some of the, the smaller schools or, you know, the, the baseball football route. So that I kind of worked through that. But, you know, to, to be one of those that has literally 40, 50, 60 offers and all corners of the of the United States and trying to figure out where to go and who to play for and, and making all these different visits, you know, that, that could probably be pretty overwhelming. I mean, it felt overwhelming at times for me, you know, just in kind of some of the more limited <laughs> sure, options yeah. that I had. That being said, still very fortunate to have had gone through that process, you know, because that's ultimately, again, that was kind of up to that point. That's what I was working for. That's what I wanted. And that's that's the direction I wanted to go. So, no, I did have a very supportive network, you know, my family, uh, my coaches, uh, obviously there, you know, in the high school, you know, uh, even when I was playing basketball, you know, the basketball coach being very supportive and letting me, you know, go take the visits and kind of do what I needed to do through that process. So, uh, so in every aspect, I had tremendous support. And, I'm, you know, again, I feel very blessed that, that I had that support. Absolutely. So I have to ask you about Coach Lubick because uh, my my friends who went to CSU would kill me if I didn't because, <laughs> you know, Sonny is, is a guy where you look at him and if you went to CSU, I mean, his name is on the field. And mm-hmm. it's there for a reason. And so everyone loved Sonny, especially like as a student, as, you know, as an alumni, as an alumnus. And so what was it like playing for Coach Lubick? What what was he like kind of behind the scenes? Man, I mean, Sonny Lubick, he's he's one of a kind. I mean, I guess that's, you know, short and sweet. That's the best way I can put it. He is one of a kind. Now, you know, I, I know every coach, you know, in every program kind of has their own style. They all have, you know, things – characteristics that make them unique as far as how they coach, you know, how they interact with players. Um, so, so I, I think, you know, that, and there's a lot of really good coaches and there may be some coaches who their style, maybe, you know, maybe aren't as good, but coach Lubick was one of a kind simply from the standpoint that when you interacted with them, whether it was about football, whether it was in his office talking about how you were doing in school, whether it was about, you know, how things were with your family, how things were in your personal life. You really just got this sense that he cared about you more than just being a football player. 
I mean, and it, it was sincere. It was a legitimate vibe, I guess, that you got from him that he really cared about you more than just what you could do on the football. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of the good coaches have that. And, you know, I've certainly been around a lot of different coaches that, that had that. But with Coach Lubick, it, it, it was just, it was at a different level. I mean, that's, I mean, there, there's a little bit, maybe some mystique to it. You know, you just, you can't quite explain what it is. But it's there. And anybody that's ever, you know, people that I've talked to that didn't play uh, football that maybe knew him or interacted with him all say the same thing. He just, he always, he generally, he just generally cared about who he was that he had in front of him that he was talking to. And he's one of those guys that, again, whatever the conversation is, whether it was, you know, something about, you know, what's going on, you know, on the football field or whatever it is, he's just one of those guys that, when you're in a conversation with him, you just, you lock in, you just you listen to what he has to say, because you just feel compelled to absorb the words that he's saying, regardless of whatever the topic is, he just drew you in and he locked you in. And he just had the way of doing that. Again, that's really when I look back and remember uh, all the interactions, even after, I mean, it was just every interaction with him. I never had any, anything close to a negative interaction uh, with Coach Lubick. And, and again, I learned a lot from him just as far as how you go about treating people, how you go about communicating with people in a way that, you know, that just makes them feel valued in the conversation. And it's funny, you're, I keep waiting for the Sonny Lubick story going, yeah, God, that guy, what a jerk, right? It, and it never, ever happens. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I mean, like literally to a person, they all say the same thing about interacting with him. Yeah, well, and then too, you, you obviously look at the success he had. I mean, to come in, uh, you know, in the early '90s and take a program that, for the most part, uh, I don't want to say was irrelevant, but it was a program that never really had much success. Right. Um, you know, uh, a few bowl games here and there, but um, I mean, he took a program, you know, and in his second year, you know, got him into the top twenty-five. Yeah, you know, and, and obviously that that win, uh, you know, down uh, in Arizona against Desert Storm, that really just kind of that was the definitive moment that okay, this, you know, Coach Lubick and the program is going to be here to stay for a while. Um, so yeah, a guy that you know, as far as his personality aside was a very good football coach. I mean, oh yeah, you know, he, he was obviously a very good football coach and a great football mind, um, and uh, so he, he really made uh, made that program successful, put it on the map. So, question for you, and this is something that I don't think anyone can really prepare for. So, 2005, you have a massive year, right? Big breakout year. Injured in 2006, right? Yeah. I remember in 2007, big story about you coming back. I read about it in the Denver Post. You're on the front page of the sports section. There's like a photo of you doing a Mm pull-up. And Do you remember this story? Yeah. Okay, so the reason I remember it is because I had a bet in my office with some... (laughs) with some CU alums over the Rocky Mountain Showdown. And if CSU won, then they had to keep that photo as their desktop background for a week. <laughs> uh, if CU won, they chose a photo of a CU player that I had to keep on my background. Unfortunately, had to look at that for a week. We let you down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's the way it goes. It's sports, yeah. right? Being a student athlete, being at, at this point in 2007, you're what, 22 years old at this point? 23? Yeah, I'm 22, like? yep. So you're suddenly getting interviewed by major newspapers. You're on TV a lot. What kind of prep do you do to, to get ready for that level of fame? You know, you've got things on the scoreboard saying, I've got a fever. It's Christopher Walken. <laughs> got a fever. And the only prescription is more Kyle Bell. That kind of thing, I, I don't know that you're, you're a small town kid from Keensburg, yet all of a sudden, all these spotlights are on you, all this attention is on you. You know, you, you're having this big season. CSU football is a big deal. How do you prepare for it? How do you handle it? Well, you know, I, I guess up to that point, um, I, I had, I had experience with it, you know, and, right. and a lot of that came from, uh, my senior year in high school. Um, you know, I, I, I started varsity, you know, right out of the gate as a freshman. Um, you know, I ran for like 1700 yards my freshman year in high school, 1500 my junior or my sophomore year, and then, uh, 2200 my, my junior year. And so going my into word, my senior yes. year in, in high school, actually, I was kind of, um, and I knew, you know, I, I was going to be in a position to set the uh, state of Colorado career rushing record for high school. So by the time I got to be a senior in high school, there was always kind of, uh, kind of that attention there. Um, you know, I remember, you know, the Greeley Tribune 
um, with one of the reporters there do, doing a, you know, a lot of stuff with them, kind of going into my senior year, kind of previewing that. And then, you know, the whole year kind of, them kind of following me on that journey to, uh, to break the record. And then uh, actually in that year when I did break the record, um, I was, I think we're going into, uh, into maybe the ninth game of the season. I was only like 140 yards away. So everybody kind of knew that was probably going to be the game. I remember channel four, I think they had their helicopter. They, they came in and actually wow. landed it in the practice field, you know, adjacent to our, uh, to our football field there. And, and I remember that moment. I remember, you know, all my teammates and everything kind of being all wide eyed. And I was just kind of, Hey, we got a game to play. Here, so. <laughs> Keep your eye on the prize here. So I guess you could say, you know, I kind of got that experience well before I got into college. But going back to your original question on how to handle it, I, I, I do remember um, kind of as as that was unfolding, uh, Mike Brown, my my high school football coach, I just remember him always telling me, you know, just be yourself. No matter what you do, you know, you're going to be talking to all these different people, uh, and, you know, interviewed and, and things like that. He's like, always just be yourself. You know, don't try to be anybody that you're not always just be who you are. And so I, I really kind of carried that from there on, as far as any time I was talking to, um, you know, whether it was reporters or whether, you know, media or people at, in the university, just, I was always just kind of had that mindset, just be myself, you know, and I never really did anything as far as trying to prepare for that. Um, you know, it was always just take questions as they come and, and just be myself, be that small town kid, um, you know, have that, you know, have that humility that, that I was taught from a very early age, always be humble. Um, and so, so I guess you can kind of say by that point, it, it was, it was fairly natural. It always just kind of goes back to just be who I am. And, and that really helps me get, I mean, kind of navigate through all that to not get a big head about it. And, and certainly, you know, uh, always, you know, cause it wasn't just me, you know, everywhere along the way, I always had teammates that were, that were pushing me and that obviously helped me get to that point, obviously helped me as an individual have success. And so it wasn't always me. It was always other people, it was coaches, uh, my family and, and the support that I had. So trying to obviously, you know, keep, keep them involved in it too as well. Was, was it tough to balance that along with the demands of football and the demands of being a student athlete? Did the noise ever get overwhelming? Oh, I mean, it certainly did. You know, I mean, especially I think, uh, you know, going into my junior year, uh, my true junior year, 2006, before the injury, you know, because I, I mean, a lot of expectations, you know, I, I was all conference my sophomore year. And so, you know, going into that junior year, kind of expectation wise, um, you know, not not only the outside expectations, but more, I think what was more overwhelming was the expectations that I, that I set for myself. I mean, and I've always kind of been that way. I've always kind of um, just by my nature, you know, a very high achiever, um, not from the standpoint of what other people expect of me, but what I expect of myself. So that was probably for me, that was probably what was most overwhelming is learning how to set proper expectations for myself to not put too much pressure on myself, um, but also be able to, you know, to, to work through that in ways that I could set myself up for success. But I do sure. really remember that summer uh, 2006 going into that, uh, that, that year before I, before I got injured and had to redshirt, you know, it, you know, there was a lot there. And there, I, I just remember, you know, more than anything, just trying to enjoy it, you know, I'm just trying to kind of, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like anything other than again, being fortunate, but, but enjoy, you know, enjoy the attention, enjoy sure. kind of going through that process. And because again, you know, you, you even though you, you don't want to think about that, you know, at some point, I mean, you're not going to be put, able to play football forever. Right. And, yeah. and at that point, you know, I still say, okay, I want to play professionally when I'm all, when it's all said and done, hopefully I have a, you know, an NFL career. But again, knowing that it's not going to last forever, just try to enjoy it and, and try to scale back some of those expectations to the point where you can enjoy it, but you can also use it to, to push you and to motivate you uh, to keep getting better. Cause it's, you know, at that point when you start to, I think kind of believe what people are saying or where you kind of start to, really uh, agree with those things is when you can get complacent. Yeah. And, and again, that's one thing about me is, is never be complacent uh, with anything that I'm doing. <laughs> I, I agree. If you start drinking your own bathwater, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But so, I mean, you segued nicely into, into an interesting question and it reminds me of, you know, the MTV show, the real world uh -huh. where essentially, you know, you have these seven people locked in a house for five months and you have a camera crew there asking them every single day about every single aspect of their day. 
And a lot of them talk about when they get off that show, the challenge is suddenly you don't have as much attention on you and there's a come down to it. And there's at least a wave of kind of mild depression. And so, you know, you, you get undrafted free agent, Jacksonville Jaguars, unfortunately ends an injury. I mean, it's like in the movie Moneyball, one of the characters in that says, at some point we're all told we, we're no longer allowed to play the children's game. And whether that's, you know, at 18 or whether that's at 40, whatever it is. Was that challenging? Because I, I'm assuming, uh, actually, I don't assume anything. Did you attempt to come back after the injury or did you kind of know it was over? Well, yeah. When uh, So when I was with Jacksonville, uh, again, that last OTA of the summer, ACL tear, um, so I knew, you know, at least for, for that season, you know, I wasn't going to be able to play. So I had a decision to make whether I, you know, whether I stayed there with Jacksonville. When you get injured like that, they can't, they can't just outright release you because of the injury. Um, so I, I had, you know, I could go one of two ways. I could have gone through, you know, I could have gotten the surgery and kind of continued with them doing uh, the rehab with Jacksonville, you know, kind of staying on the team in that capacity, at least up until the point where they could release me, which I knew they probably would have. Uh, and again, I wasn't drafted, so they, they really didn't have much invested in me to keep me around longer than they needed to. Or I could have gone the second route, which uh, was basically doing a, a, a little bit of an injury settlement. Again, I you know I signed undrafted. I, I signed for the league minimum, um, so it really didn't you know cost them much for basically for us to part ways at my you know at, at my decision. So I decided to go that route because um, I, I knew I wanted to go up to Vail to have Dr. Stedman there at the Stedman Hawkins Clinic do the surgery. And so I kind of figured at that point, because uh, I did want to make one more attempt to get back to play in the NFL. You know, again, just a very short window of time. I figured I had maybe one more opportunity, you know, to try to get back, uh, to try to maybe make one more go at it. So I came back to Colorado, and I actually I moved up to Vail because, um, you know, I had the surgery done there. But I also I wanted to be there with, uh, with the doctors, with the therapists. I got a trainer. Because, again, if I'm going to commit myself to getting back to that level, I wanted to do it the right way. So that kind of became my – my full-time job. So I did commit to that. Now, fast forward uh, to 2010, I was about 10 months post-surgery. I was, I was back to hundred percent. I was working with my trainer um, pretty much full, full go and everything that I was doing. I was working with my agent to try to get some tryouts. And unfortunately I tore it a third time. Oh, geez. Out on the, you know, out on the field doing some routine speed training, things that I've done a million times in my life. Uh, was doing some change of direction drills and unfortunately blew it out a third time. Oh. So it was, and, and I knew it. As soon as I did it, I knew it. And literally within seconds of doing it, I had the realization, okay, it's over. Like, I, you know, there's no, there's no real coming back from this. Now there's always that idea, maybe I can try to play semi-pro or a lot of different things that way. But it just kind of hit me that, okay, at this moment, I'm done with football. <laughs> and so, yeah. It wasn't something, of course, that I really kind of had to navigate through as far as making the decision of, you know, trying to continue to play. It, it was just kind of I, I just felt like the decision was made. Yeah. And you know, as I kind of worked through that and, and had some time to you know kind of sit on that, you know, I was I was OK with that, you know, because, again, I, I really felt like I, I I gave it everything that I had. And just, you know, I really kind of at that point, it just wasn't meant to be. So at that point, it's like, OK, now. Now here's your opportunity to uh, to go out and do life on your terms, however you want to go about it. Yeah, I, I mean, in some ways, the decision's made for you there, and when that happens, you can either fight that, but that's a fool's errand, um, right. or you can kind of be at peace with it. So, in turn, you know, you've you've dedicated your time to to pursuing this dream. How did you know what led you to the next steps that you made to start your life, kind of post athletics? Well, I, you know, I had some time. Um, it wasn't one of those things where I necessarily uh, had to get on to the next thing because, you know, I, I still needed to have two more surgeries after I did that. Right. Um, you know, I needed to have a microfracture surgery to repair some of the knee and then three and a half months later actually get the ACL repaired. Um, now, certainly I didn't, uh, I didn't go about the rehab process quite like I did before because I wasn't trying to get back to that level. So, you know, I was actually kind of fortunate to have some time to really just kind of, you know, sift through it all. You know, there was a little bit of that uh, of coming to coming to grips with it all. So there, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, right off the bat, I was, you know, at peace with it. But, you know, it, it didn't take too long before I was really kind of like, okay, you know, that part of my life is done now. Um, you know, the, the, the blessing for me moving up to Vail and being up there was that's where I met my wife. 
Nice. Um, you know, I, my, my wife today, and our, you know, that's where I met her. So um, that was kind of the blessing that really came from that. And it was right at the turn of 2011. You know, I, I got my degree at uh, SDSU in technical journalism and broadcasting. So I, I knew at, what, at some point when football was all said and done with, I wanted to use my degree. I wanted to use just my experience in football and in athletics in general. I wanted to go into television and radio. You know, I wanted to be a guy you saw on TV talking sports, on the radio talking sports, maybe be an analyst, uh, you know, for football games. So I, I kind of knew that was going to be the next step that I wanted to pursue. Um, and so at the beginning of 2011, came back into Denver to, to just kind of get that process started and just kind of using my connections and, and just reaching out to a lot of people, trying to get whatever opportunity that I could uh, to get into that space, into that industry. Um, and so just kind of trying to grind my way. And, and I was doing that uh, for the better part, uh, better part of a year. So um, that's kind of, you know, what took me out of football and into kind of that next phase. Your, your story about that really strikes a chord with me because people always ask, like, I don't know if you talk to college kids frequently, but sometimes I do. And they go, everyone says you need to network. And they're like, how? Like, how do you network? <laughs> like, no one teaches you how to network, right? And yeah. so I would say to him, I'm like, okay, figure out where you think you might have an interest and then basically ask everyone you know if they know someone who works in that industry or if, you know, like lean on your parents, lean on your parents' friends, lean on your friends' parents, like talk to your professors, talk to anyone you basically can and say, hey, do you know someone here? This is what I'm interested in. And if you've, you've built relationships, like everyone has a circle of friends that, that they can lean on and basically don't go looking for a job. Just go and meet as many people as you can. And the goal of your meeting should be to get more meetings. Um, mm -hmm. And that sounds like kind of what you did. Did you, was that met with success for you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much exactly what I did, you know, through, you know, obviously being uh, part of the, the CSU football program, you know, got to know a lot of people in media, um, got to know a lot of different, uh, you know, connections within CSU alumni um, so just a lot of people in a lot of different areas of life, but kind of, again, focusing on the media side of it. Yeah, it was just kind of one of those things, okay, who do I know that's in this industry? How can I get a hold of them? Sure. And the conversation was always, you know, was where do, do you know of any opportunities directly? Um, and if it wasn't, okay, who else do you know that I could call? Who else should I be getting in touch with? So, yeah, it was literally just getting on the phone, sending emails, just working around the clock to just talk to as many different people as I could, just, just to try to find opportunities. And, uh um, you know, I, I had some connection. And this was back when the, the Mountain West still had their own television network. Oh, right. He did a lot of work directly with us. So I kind of had an in, you know, with them um, to kind of get started with some work. Well, and uh, you've got credibility and you've got name value. And so, like, you know that you can leverage some of those things to whatever extent. Obviously, you're not going to yeah. be, you know, a, a complete chud about it. But, <laughs> but you know, like, it, you're, you're Kyle Bell. Like, that, you know, you've, you've had some success here at CSU. It's like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, we've watched this guy play. He would have some valuable insights in terms of the way we present our product here on the Mountain West Network. I get that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just utilizing that. Leverage whatever you can. And, and what you want to do. And so I, I have that, you know, I, from, from the time and the people that I spent time with, you know, I, I was able to kind of build that up, you know, maybe to a, to a certain extent, a little bit of a brand, like you said, you know, yeah. that I had credibility from my, from people knowing, you know, who my, what my name was, who I am, uh, kind of what I had done up to that point. Uh, but also too, seeking out new opportunities. I mean, I remember, you know, I, I was trying to, you know, cause I wanted to get into radio too. So I, I literally, I started with 104.3, the fan, you know, basically just going into there and just saying, hey, whatever opportunities you have, you know, let me have at it. And I literally, I started out on, on the board for, you know, doing, you know, Nuggets games on their AM radio station, just sitting at the board making $8 an hour, you know, just clicking over to the commercial break. Yeah. You know, and then slowly over time kind of got some opportunities to be on air. And so, so that was kind of that part of it too, like just scratching and clawing for any opportunity. Like, let me be involved however I can. I was literally, even if you don't pay me to start with, let me you know, let me, let me do some things with you. So, um, so that, there was that element of it too. And so, um, you know, that it was fairly short lived because I, uh, by the end of 2011, I ended up going a completely different direction that I never expected in the automotive business. Um, and so, so again, you really just got to kind of always be, no matter what you're doing, always be looking for those opportunities for those things that can propel you to a new level. Yeah. Propel you whether it's career, Whatever it is that can take you to 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 a new level that you weren't previously at. 
Well, and being a little zen about it, too, because I was convinced I wanted to work for the Colorado Rockies. And so I've told this story on the show before, but I, I just went down there and I dropped off a resume a week with a new cover letter every single week for like six weeks. <laughs> um, I, I found someone on their website that I thought was kind of in the department that I was into. I think he got so tired of hearing from me that he got me an interview with a different department. I talked to him. They offered me a job that I ended up turning down which was like surreal to me, right? Because it's like, here's what I thought I wanted to do. I have the opportunity now and uh, no thanks. Like that, that's just, it's, it's weird the way life works. So, you know, ultimately you got this degree in, uh, you, you were in the JT school, which uh, yep. was like the sister school to, I was in speech. So like, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I had a class with David Anderson at one point. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, he was funny, man. He like, yeah, DA is one of the best, man. Yeah. He was terrific. He, he was always like pitching to our professor, like these weird reality show ideas. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> anyway, he was funny. Um, yeah. but it turns out, Hey, you know what? This, uh, this isn't what I wanted to do. You ended up in automotive for a little while. And now, um, from what you tell me, you are a financial services professional. I mean, yeah, I'm in that industry. Um, yeah, kind of how, you know, at least just to kind of, you know, at least go back, kind of run through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah do, was, do the bridge for us here. Sure. Yeah, as I was, so yeah, I was really just, again, I was kind of immersing myself in the, uh, um, you know, in media, in broadcasting, you know, again, just kind of doing whatever opportunity I could get my hands on. Um, but of course, you know, as you know, life stages, right, I, uh, again, that's I met my wife up in Vail, and so we were dating for a few years, kind of got to that point where, okay, you know, I'm starting to think about the next the next steps, you know, getting married, wanting to have a family, things like that. So, you know, I, I, I literally, I, I was buying an engagement ring. I had maxed out my credit card, uh, wasn't making a whole lot of money doing some of the things that I was doing. So, okay, I, I need, I need a, a side hustle, if you will. I need to, I need to make some, some more, some money beyond kind of what I'm doing. Got to get some so, scratch. Yeah, exactly. So at my wife's recommendation, uh, she said, you know what, you, you'd probably be good in sales. You know, you, uh, I think you would be good in sales. And so I said, okay, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like fun. Um, so what, what should I go and sell? And, and again, back to her recommendation, she said, well, you should go sell cars or something, you know, go, go do something where you can make some good money, you know, maybe for the short term and while you're doing these other things. And so I, uh, I applied, uh, for a sales position at Ed Bozart Chevrolet in Aurora. Um, I remember going in to interview with them and, and laying it out all out on the table. Look, I, I said, look, I, you know, I'm doing some other things, but I, I, I have a need. I need to make some money. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm incredibly driven. So I'm going to come in. I'm going to work my butt off uh, for however long I'm here. If you just give me an opportunity. Um, and so they, they hired me and uh, uh, I was salesman of the month in my first full month there at the dealership. Had a, wow. Uh, really good uh, second month with them. And it was at that point where, they asked me if I wanted to, to move up, if I wanted to, you know, be uh, go into the finance side of things, if I wanted to uh, to go into management with them there at the dealership. So after two um, months, they did this. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess just kind of from the standpoint of of my background, and you know, and, and I'm a firm believer too. And and you can you can usually get a good gauge about who someone is as far as who they are now and what they have the potential to do by what they've done in the past. You know, what have they paid a price? In doing in the past, what have they done to be successful in the past? So you can usually get a pretty good gauge about someone just kind of on that. Um, and so I think there was an element of that, but certainly I went in and, you know, I guess I worked my butt off uh, right from day one and just to kind of prove myself from, obviously I needed to make money. That was, that was the primary. <laughs> right. that, that's just a big motivator. That'll do it. Yeah. How competitive I am. I, I wanted to be salesman of the month just so I can <laughs> say I did it. Sure. Um, so that kind of, at, at that point when they asked me if I wanted to move up, um, I knew I, I had to fully commit myself to that. So I, all the other things I was doing for, with the TV and radio, I knew I had to at least put those on hold, So which I did, and I committed to uh, to moving up and growing with them there at the dealership. And then from there, it was just kind of moving up. So about three and a half months after I was in the, in the finance department, I, they asked me if I wanted to move into the sales management role. Um, about a year and a half in that role, I moved up to the general sales manager role. And then in 2015, they asked me if I wanted to be general manager of the dealership and it gave me an opportunity to buy in as a partner. Wow. Um, and so, so again, it was just always, you know, I never felt like I was ready for that next step. But again, just putting myself in a position to be successful and, and just me trying to just do everything that I could to grow professionally and, and, and things like that. It, it just, I kind of took it and I ran with it. And so, and I, I didn't really look back. In 2014, we had our son. 
and then in uh, 2018 we had uh, had our daughter. Wow, it's a hell of a story, Kyle, and it, it's <laughs> it, it's one that I it's one that's not unexpected to me from a farm kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? A yeah. farm kid goes has success playing Division One football, and then like that gives you the building blocks that you need to go and and be successful in whatever you're pursuing. So mm-hmm. how how did you know it was time to end your time at this dealership? Yeah, so like I said, we had uh, had our daughter, our second child, on New Year's Day, two thousand and eighteen. New Year's Day. Uh, you know, anybody that knows anything about the automotive business, you know, it, it, I mean, it's retail, of course, a lot of hours, um, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of time there at the dealership. You know, I uh, I oversaw one hundred and ten employees. Um, you know, uh, you know, hiring a lot of people. Um, managing the day to day. So, you know, naturally I, I was there a lot, you know, and, and so at, once we had our, our second child, you know, I really just kind of started to, I think for the first time, you know, since I started there, you know, again, we had our, our son in 2014, which was, was definitely a kind of a, you know, a, a moment of, wow, you know, next step in life is the really big deal, very proud moment, but I never really took time just to kind of you know, I guess stop and smell the roses, if you will. I really just kind of didn't take time to really just kind of evaluate uh, a lot of things away from uh, the, the work side of things. And then after we had our daughter, it was really kind of when I started to just kind of take a step back and, and really just kind of look at the future, you know, really just kind of look at how I wanted to um, have a, a good, healthy uh, work-life family balance. And at that time, I really didn't feel like I was comfortable with where that was at. And uh, so I, I kind of figured I maybe had the way I looked at it, one of two choices. I said, I can just kind of stay on this path. Obviously, you know, the position I was in, the income, uh, the future opportunities I knew were still pretty limitless for the most part. Um, but what am I going to miss out on? You know, as I'm, yeah. as I'm working these hours and I'm time away with the family, what are going to be the consequences of that? What are going to be the future implications? Because, Again, you know, I want to I want to be involved. You know, my father was always involved in coaching, and always involved in sports. He never missed anything. You know, he was always there for everything. And I, I really wanted to be able to uh, to do that for my kids. You know, I really wanted to be able to to devote time for the family. I really wanted to have a healthy marriage in in, in which it was a true partnership where, you know, I was I was there where I, it wasn't always just on my wife to take care of the kids all the time. Yeah. Um, and so as I kind of was doing that and looking at what the next 10, 15, 20 years of life looked like I wasn't really confident that I wanted to continue. I wanted to continue life at that pace and on that trajectory. So after, you know, a lot of soul searching, praying on it and just, you know, talking with the family about it and, uh, you know, just kind of came to that decision. You know what? I just, I, I think I'm just going to get out of, out of the business altogether. Um, and it wasn't an easy choice to make. You know, a lot of people thought I was crazy in, uh, in, in making that big, you know, that big, uh, adjustment, but it just, it felt right. You know, I, I just, uh, again, it was, when I started there, it wasn't something that was going to be a long-term thing. And I took it way further than I ever anticipated doing. And so I just, I felt like it was time. And so I just decided that I was going to, you know, get out of the, the industry altogether um, and go a different direction. And I took some time to just kind of, you know, really, again, just kind of go through the process of figuring out, okay, what's the next step? I didn't want to rush into anything. I weighed a lot of options. And ultimately, you know, came to a decision that I really felt was going to be be good. And the way I look at it, this, okay, now is the start of my career. You know, the being in the car business, you know, that it was great. And I, I set myself up financially to, to start a family and to buy a home and to, to really give myself uh, some runway to be able to determine where I wanted to go next. What you're doing, and I, I understand there's a lot of regulations and things uh, that, you know, we, we have to be uh, a, a little bit uh, cautious in the way we talk about it, but you are largely kind of on your own. You determine your own fate here. You, you set your own course for, for the ways in which you work and, and, and how you proceed and how you develop a, a client based on what you're doing. Is that fair for yeah. me to characterize it that way? It is, yeah. And like you, like you alluded to, I'm in the financial industry. Um, but again, just have to be, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, careful about what we, what I put out to the public as far as what I do. Now, I'll say this: if you, for your, you know, your listeners who are uh, who are listening in right now, uh, look me up on LinkedIn. You know, you can see exactly who I work for, exactly what I do. Um, the company I work for, you know, is a very reputable name. I've been around a long time. I think you know most people would know would recognize it. But it does, like you said, it does give me the opportunity 
kind of do my own thing. Because really, when again, when I was making that making that change, it came down to two things. I, mean, I really I wanted to have the ability to do just that. I wanted to have the ability to structure my business exactly how I wanted it, to make my own schedule, to be able to have that flexibility, to be able to have the opportunity to grow into more of a autonomous lifestyle and in that work, personal, family, uh, life balance. Um, and then, you know, I also, I, I wanted to be able to work with people. And that was kind of one of the things I really uh, kind of fell in love with, you know, in the car business was, was being able to, to work with a lot of people over that time. Um, and, and what starts to happen over time when you when we would sell vehicles to people multiple times, you know, multiple vehicles, or when yeah. they would bring their family in, or when they would have their vehicle service, you know, regularly, you start to get to know people in a different way where they're not just customers, you know, they're, you start to get to learn more about them and who they are and more about their family, what's going on in their lives. And so, you know, I, I kind of took that, which I, I really like, developed a, a really good appreciation for. And, and I also knew I wanted to be able to do something where I could have a meaningful impact in people's lives. And so what I'm doing now really, I mean, to check both of those boxes. And again, um, you know, like I said, look me up on LinkedIn to, so you can have kind of a full understanding of what it is that I'm doing. Um, and if, you know, certainly reach out to me if, uh, if it's something that you feel like uh, you would want, you know, any sort of guidance or I can be of any sort of uh, role in that. But, but again, kind of tying it all together, it's, um, you know, it's really fulfilling now just to kind of be, be doing something that, A, I love, something that I'm passionate about and that I care about and where I'm able to uh, develop relationships with people to where, again, I'm able to have a positive impact in their life and, you know, get to know people to that, to that extent. And again, ultimately do what I want to do and how I want to do it. That's all you can hope for. <clears throat> I mean, I, I've been on my own now for the last five and a half years and, it's hard for me to picture wanting to go back because yeah. once you kind of have more control over your own destiny, I mean, certainly we don't, no one has full control. No one knows what's coming tomorrow, but having that sense of agency over how you're steering the ship is, is really, really useful. So uh, I'm happy for you, man. I'm glad that you found that. It, it sounds like every step of the process, no matter what you're doing, whether it was high school sports, college football, pursuing your NFL dream, Working for the auto dealership and now on your own, you've gone in both feet and you're you're all in. Yeah, and it, you know, and I'll, I'll say this too. You know, it, it's it's every change or every shift. It, it's always a very humbling experience. You know, and especially this time around when I I really kind of had to start over. You know, I really <laughs> just kind of had to uh, almost start from scratch in, in doing something that was a, a new industry. For me, you know, kind of just starting fresh with a clean slate, very humbling experience to kind of oh, yeah. uh, start over, you know, but, but also too, I think that that's what, you know, and, and one of the things that I've, I've really kind of learned, it's, it's in those opportunities, it's in those changes in life, it's in those next steps where you really learn a lot about yourself and you really kind of, you, you start to refine, you know, who, it, I mean, not necessarily who it is that you are. But, but what it is that you want to contribute to the world and how you want to go about doing that. And it does kind of, I mean, certainly force you to step out of your comfort zone, learn new things, take on new challenges. But for me, it, it's definitely something that, I mean, the best way for me to put it is, is that I was grateful for, you know, that I really was grateful for the opportunity just to kind of change what I was doing and go a different direction because it's really kind of helped me just, you know, really stay centered with who I am and, and learn new things about myself. 100%. And so, Kyle, I'll, I'll say this. We need to wrap up. But when we connected on LinkedIn, um, I get a lot of connections. A lot of times, like, I'll accept it, and I'll immediately get, like, an <laughs> auto message from someone. And that immediately, I'm like, nope, not into that. No, thanks. Uh, you sent me a very thoughtful, very, like, personally written. You know, it's like, uh, I like connecting with CSU alums. I see you went there. Uh, here's what I'm doing now. Uh, would love to connect with you. Like, and so it was just, it was this very sort of thoughtful approach. I go, Oh, that's perfect. Like, well done. <laughs> and so like, I, you're, you're definitely on the right path. Yeah. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for the time, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Okay. Here's the time on the show when we do plugs. I know you mentioned LinkedIn. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, the floor is yours. That's it. Uh, you know, like I said, just from the extent of, of what I can kind of put out into the world, as far as talking about exactly what I do. Uh, look me up on LinkedIn. You can kind of get a little bit of insight there. I, I have a little bit of explanation as far as uh, what exactly I do, 
how I go about doing it. And then certainly, you know, take time to, to send me a message. And I, I'd love to, to communicate with anybody and everybody that uh, might want to learn a little bit more. Fantastic. Well, I will make sure to link to that in the show notes. You'll find that on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and even a billion other podcatchers. And, of course, the John of All Trades homepage. That's J-O-N of All Trades.us. You can read up on Kyle there. Kyle Bell, man, this was uh, a real thrill. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for uh, the pleasure of getting to watch you run the ball. And uh, I wish you nothing but continued success going forward. Hey, thanks a lot, John. Go Rams. Go Rams. <laughs> And that'll do it for episode 267 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Kyle Bell for reaching out to me. I'm so glad we connected. You're a great dude. I know you're going to be successful in this phase of what you're doing. Be sure to look him up on LinkedIn and connect with him. I'm sure he'd love to meet and talk with you. The John of All Trades podcast is produced by Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Training, content, engagement, podcasting. Those are my four pillars. Sponsor is four degrees. The number four, D E G R E dot E S. Anything you're doing online, four degrees can help you do it better. Building a website, social media marketing, online advertising, creating a captivating message, and then getting it in front of the people who need to hear it most. Four degrees build you a strategy and handle the execution. They're amazing at what they do. I'm proud to have them as my sponsor. The number four, D E G R E dot E S. Be sure to get down to Old 121 Brew House. That's in Lakewood. Friday, October 9th, 4 p.m. for great beef from Colorado Craft Butchers, t-shirts from Scooter James, punk rock playlist, and tasty, tasty beers. I've also posted about that on my social media. Check out John of All Trades on the socials. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Monday, sometimes Tuesdays. New episodes drop on Wednesday. I'm out of here for the rest of this week. I've got a brand new episode lined up for next week. I can't wait to hear you again. And until I do... Say goodnight, Tracy. That's good, Johnny.